Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Today y Manana. I'm Alex. This is Michael. We're very excited to have you joining us on a hot, hot morning day here in Charlottesville, Virginia. But as we said in the, in the opening, this is a great opportunity to get into a nice, cool spot, get your café ton leche, your ice café ton leche, mm -hmm. and watch some Today y Manana. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing good, trying to stay cool. You always I, look cool. Though. Oh, thank you, Alex. I try my best. Cooler than the other side of the pillow, right? There you go. There you go. That's always uh, that's always a plus. Yeah. You know. So we uh, we got some great guests today. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. That we're we're excited for. We're going to be joined very shortly by Noel Gray. She's the owner of the Gray. Uh, then later in the show by David Deaton and Ann Thompson, the co-founders of Mindsalt. And then certainly not least, uh, Matthias Yon Realty. Matthias Yon from Matthias Yon Realty is going to be joining us for our monthly conversations uh, with Matthias. We got a lot to cover. Stay tuned. I, ha I do have permission to say on the show what the new opera and musical from Charlottesville Opera is going to be in the next season. So uh, stay tuned for that. Michael mm -hmm. suggested I... Uh, Keep, yeah, I told him, wait for the end. This is what you keep people hooked. I feel like that, you know, the um, Trapped in Paradise for Nicholas Cage when he goes, I better know how to keep you in suspense. Mm -hmm. I better know how to keep you in suspense. <laughs> so I will keep everyone in suspense uh, for that. Of course, uh, big shout out. Love, uh, love being here on the LFC Civil Network. Uh, big thank you to our great presenter, Emergent Financial Services, as well as our awesome partners, Matias Yon Realty, Credit, Sirius Insurance, Castle Hill Cider, Forward, Adelante, um, appreciate everyone who tuned it to turned out yes, for last the Today week. Manana appreciation event. Uh, last week we had some, some great people. Yeah, came. With beautiful weather. It was at Castle Hill Cider. Some it was food. packed house. Great food. Always good cider. A lot of fun times. You know, and just a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. I love seeing all the guests that exactly. we have had on kind of meet each other or find out kind of who they already knew. Yeah, it's, like, it's oh, a small yeah, world I sometimes. Knew, I like there's certain people that's like, oh, I already know this person. It's like, mm -hmm. wait, what? Yeah, we even had like some guests bring other guests of their own so it was yeah. open to anybody. And we're like, I know you're just not from the show. Exactly. So, you know, there were a couple of guests when I was like, I know this person, but I didn't interview them on the yeah, show. Yeah, was so this we're... person on the show? I don't remember that. <laughs> so that's always that's always a blast. Love our audience already. We got some great people tuning in. Monica Miller from Montana is watching this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Robert Boland tuning in this morning. Uh, Monica says, "Good morning, Erpy team. Good morning, mm -hmm. Good Monica. Morning, it's Monica. always it's always fun to have you joining us on the show. Thank you again, Robert Boland, for for tuning in this morning. We got lots of." Uh, Lots of fans that I know will, uh, will check us out this morning and will read. Send us any questions, comments, thoughts you have, and we will read them out and tell our guests how much, uh, how much you love them or ask any questions that you might have. So we love doing that. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to get started. All right, let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. So we're excited to welcome to the show this morning as our first guest, Noelle Gray. She is the owner of The Gray. Noelle, thanks for tuning, yeah, joining thanks us this for morning. Coming, Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. So for those who haven't met you yet, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of the genesis behind The Gray. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess I've been, uh, well, I've been drinking wine for probably longer than I should say, <laughs> but uh, I grew up in a wine family, and so... It's always been a part of my life. Um, about 2012, uh, my father and I were thinking about doing a wine website, but we wanted to have beer as well. So mm -hmm. I kind of, uh, since he was allergic to hops, I kind of took over the beer side of things and started studying fermentation science mm -hmm. in, in much more depth. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of, I never left wine ever, ever, but you know, all fermented things are, are good. Mm -hmm. So. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I was doing that. At the, at the same time, we had a family print shop, um, and that's the location we're in now. But with the pandemic, mm -hmm. that kind of chopped us off at the knees a little bit. And then there was a toner shortage uh, mm -hmm. for about six months. Oof. And if you don't have toner, it's really difficult to print. Mm -hmm. So um, we talked about it. That's when I made the decision to pivot. Because, uh, you know, fermented things are always are always going to be around. Bold, yeah. They're always, mm. yeah, it's always a good thing. So, I think um, even especially after the pandemic, I think they probably jumped a little yeah, popularity. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because for years I'd been thinking, like, maybe I should open a brewery, mm -hmm. uh, wine shop, just present itself, the location was good, um, the capital investment's a little less than opening a brewery, mm -hmm. uh, especially right now. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so we pivoted, and I uh, took over the lease, and opened up my little, my little shop. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so how would you describe what the Ray is? Like when people walk in, yeah. what? Well, I try to focus on wines that are kind of overperforming for the money. So mm. with, with a specific focus on 20 and under, especially where I am, you yeah. know, with the, with the corner. Mm -hmm. um, well, who doesn't like a good wine for less money? Absolutely. You know? So it's a very small... Um, shop so it has to be a highly curated selection mm -hmm. but there are so many gems that you can find under twenty dollars you know price does not necessarily indicate quality when it comes yes. to wine mm -hmm. and a lot of people you know forget that um, and so what I'm trying to do is just focus on just overperformers, even the ones I have that are obviously obviously I have wines that are more than twenty dollars mm -hmm. but even mm -hmm. the ones that I have that are over twenty you know in the higher end I want them to be overperformers for that money too, mm -hmm. um, because it's so disappointing. You know, there's so much good wine out there, but there's a lot of bad wine too. Mm -hmm. So what I do is it passes through my liver first, <laughs> and then I put it on the shelves. So that that's the that's the gist of the shop. And, and when you do like your wine tasting to figure out which wine like you want to kind of buy a ship, do you, do you taste it like by itself or do you try to accompany it with food to kind of like give people like a pairing? I usually taste it by itself first, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but I'm constantly drinking from my own selection, like making mm -hmm. sure, because you'd be surprised how much case variation there is too. It's, mm -hmm. that's one thing I've really learned. Uh, I haven't been open a year yet, but with, within this past, you know, well, it'll be a year at the end of September. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 We're coming <laughs> but, up on yeah. anniversary. <laughs> but, uh, how much bottle variation there is and how much case variation there is from like even lot to lot. Wow. So I try to like, if I, if I, you know, I, I'm constantly tasting and selecting and trying to get the best that I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And if it comes, cause there, there are different releases with wines, you know, you have kind of your first release. Mm -hmm. It's where you get the good reviews. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then later in the year you release a little more, maybe those cases, maybe those wines aren't as good. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I try to, you know, pull from my own stock as often as possible to make sure that, like, okay, this this release is not as good. I'm not getting this wine anymore. Um, but yeah. Wow, so, so you have to continually monitor it. Yeah, mm. yeah, I do. Um, which, makes, which makes total sense. Is, I mean, how many times, right? It's true, I mean, especially when you're dealing with you know, you may have a brand or like a, that, or, you know, a brand with a drape and everything mm -hmm. that you recognize the bottle, you have it one time, it's great, you have it like a couple years later, and like, oh, what happened? Yeah, like, it's yeah. not, 
you this know, is not what I remember. Exactly. Not we're, I think we're so used to, you know, like, I think as consumers, we're so used to, when you buy a product, you kind of just expect it to be the same every single time. Yeah. But wine doesn't work that way. The year to year, Wine's a very, fickle lady. Exactly. Yeah. yeah she. Uh, it, is beer fickle in that way too, or not quite as much? So that's what I love about brewing and beer is mm-hmm. uh, the control. Like I'm a little mm-hmm. bit of a control freak. Okay. Um, I think winemakers. I have tons of respect for them because they can basically. I mean, you know, you're at the mercy of the weather. You're yep. at the mercy mm-hmm. of so many things. With brewing, you really have control. You know, mm. if the beer is not good. Kind of on that's, you. That's on you. Yeah, you, you made a mistake Arch somewhere. Critic, arch critic. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, you know, you something happened along the lines. And so that's what pulled me into fermentation science is uh, getting questions answered. Like, mm-hmm. why? So this flavor appeared in my beer. Why? I want to know from a molecular level. I want, mm-hmm. you know, what's the compound being produced? Yeah. How is it being produced? How can I control it and either promote it or prevent it in future? Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Right? Yeah. I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think about that one drinking the beer, all these little uh, things that go into it. Oh, yeah. It's a rabbit hole of microbiology <laughs> and biochemistry. If you really want to get into it, you can do it for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Biology was pretty tough for me when <laughs> yeah. I was in college. Yeah, it was not my favorite subject. Yeah. Put that. Uh, Nicholas, uh, viewer, has a question. So he asks, do you find that there are regions sometimes, maybe in parts of Europe or regions in America, that are overperformers, or is it t- t- yeah. mostly down at the vineyard level? Yes, it's both of to those. Both. Um, so, my heart is in Italy, France, and Spain. Really, um, at the end of the day, I, I love Virginia wine. Don't get me wrong; I absolutely adore it. I'm from Charlottesville. I love going to the wineries, but for those uh, less expensive mm-hmm. wines um, that are good and overperforming, I, I do find like I mean. Look at Italy. There's so many regions. There's so many varietals. Uh, and there are so many undiscovered wines where you can really kind of pluck mm-hmm. those gems out. And that, um, that's exciting. Yeah, listen, so, you're yeah. talking to two people who are half Italian, Rioja. half Spanish. Oh, yeah. Rioja. Rioja. There's lots of Rioja and Chianti yeah. Classicals Absolutely. at our house. <laughs> what part of Italy? Our uh, mom's from Sicily or her family. That's my family, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. As well. My mom's, oh, that's yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm never, I'll never forget the first time we had Sicilian wine. Yeah. Right? Because we didn't know what to do. We were in Rome, and the uh, waiter's like, this is a Sicilian wine. And my dad's like, no, I've never had Sicilian yeah. wine. But I think he was a little dubious. Yeah. yeah. But then we had it, and we're like, no, no. this is good. Sicily like, makes great wines. They, they yes. make yeah. great wines. Yeah. But listen, I remember when we've been, we've been blessed to go to Italy twice, and it's like, you go there and just house wine, and it's always so yeah. delicious. It's yeah. like, it doesn't really matter what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always so good. So. It's a treat. And, I, really and I just love that you're focusing kind of on that 20 or less range, because I think sometimes there is a temptation to look, because you're going to see the top things that kind of are in people's minds, that like you'll go into the store, you'll see Barolo, and it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Not realizing, well, you can get the Barolo grape that doesn't say Barolo because it's like just over the border, still in Italy, and then suddenly now you're curating in the the $20 range, and it's fantastic. And I think a lot of people can be intimidated by wine um, because of the price. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't want to make a... If if you're this high association of price and value... uh, I'd like to like ease the ramp 
mm -hmm. up. You know, you can you can get good wines. You can start around twelve dollars, fifteen dollars. You know, and and learn mm -hmm. your palate, figure out what's going on, what you like to drink, yes. and then start mm -hmm. you know really getting into it without parting with all of your money. So mm -hmm. exactly, yeah. exactly. Do you find that like when people find something that they like like let's say they you know they begin to experiment with you know tasting mm -hmm. you know a, a certain grape or a certain region and they say okay i really like this that then it's a little easier for them to say they have a little more confidence that if they go to the 30 dollar range right. yeah. with that region yeah. they're more likely to enjoy it yeah yeah and i so i try to i do tastings every friday and saturday um i mix it up it's always something different um and i have regulars that come in that and that's a really nice easy way to start learning your palate and once you start learning your palate and how to talk about wine it becomes a little easier to ask for what you like or yeah. to be able to be uh you know pointed in the right direction mm -hmm. um nothing is going to beat experience i mean it's you, you have to you have to taste to mm -hmm. kind of learn what you like. But the more you taste, the more you learn, well, I love this, I do not care for this. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. That makes yeah. complete sense. Yeah. We've we got some people tuning in. Nicole Erickson, Olivia Branch, thanks for watching this morning. Bill McChesney, thanks for tuning in this morning. Nicole. So what? Um, yeah, I should have one quick question. Yeah, so I also took a quick look at your website. You, sit, you also sell other products at the Gray, too. Can yeah. you tell us a little about what else you sell? Yeah, so it's sort of a gourmet gift shop. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a lot of chocolates. Um, mm. I mean, wine and chocolate. chocolate. And dark chocolate. You know, yeah, lots of dark chocolate, mm -hmm. lots yeah. of really good chocolates. Um, you know, pastas. Uh, I, I, I noticed the pastas. I was yeah. waiting for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know La why. Pasta, now that people, yeah. yeah, now that I know <laughs> we know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, basically, all the things I like are in the shop. Coffee, you, you know, uh, earrings, <laughs> just <laughs> random stuff. Because <laughs> I, I want to make it uh, sort of a gift shop as well. Mm -hmm. So somebody could come in and, and throw together a yeah. convenient gift, a bottle of wine, a nice card. Uh, you know that always goes a, oh, yeah. a huge yeah. way absolutely yeah. Just what I was uh, I was going to ask what's kind of the process for sourcing or curating new things to add because like you, you talked a little about what's in how do you go out and even begin to find all right something to add like wines the, particularly either or wine or beer I mean so I usually start with varietal. Mm -hmm. So what, where is there a gap in the shop with a varietal? Yeah. Okay. Like, you know, do I need uh, Verdicchio? Do mm -hmm. I need, am I, am I low on like affordable Pinot Noir? You know mm -hmm. what, so start there and then just start coming through and we bear the burden of expense. We buy a lot of stuff yeah. just to taste yeah, um, and to then curate it that way. And, and then of course I have wonderful distributors that stop by and taste, you know, on a regular basis. And oftentimes they bring me, they kind of know what I'm looking for too, mm -hmm. you know, in the price range. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they surprise me with things that are more expensive that I just can't resist. And so that mm -hmm. comes into, you know, yep. they, they know my weak spots. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it's just a lot of buying and tasting and mm -hmm. it's a small shop, so it's not, it's not difficult to populate it. But I do try to keep things rotating, um, keep new, interesting things going. Mm -hmm. For, you know, for somebody who's, I want it to be an eclectic mix. So mm -hmm. either a novice can come in or somebody who's, you know, really into wine and still find something that they enjoy. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Nick uh, is excited. He says uh, he's, he spotted you sell some vintage port as well, which I know yeah. uh, we are big fans <laughs> oh, of. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> 
port. Mm. So that is a great, that's yeah. great. And it's glad to know that you're, you're there with that. Sometimes that's not an easy thing to find. Yeah. You know, so it's always good to, to say, all right, had, uh, it's, that's what the beauty of like a local person sure. and an entrepreneur mm -hmm. kind yeah. of helping provide those yeah. things. There's yeah. nothing like a good port during Christmas time. That's like our yes. favorite thing during yeah. December. We open a bottle of port, Christmas cookies, port every night. Perfect. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can't Absolutely. Go so what's it like kind of being an entrepreneur? I know that almost, I mean, I guess you had a little bit entrepreneur background even beforehand. Yeah. With the family yeah print I, up, but now almost a year into this. Yeah, it's different. Um, it's enjoyable. Uh, you know, living the dream. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do like it. I have great customers. Uh, made a lot of good friends. A lot of my friends have come out and supported me. It's, it's just been it's been a great experience. It's a little different than I expected as far as just, it's a good problem to have, but just a lot of ordering, a lot mm -hmm. of keeping on, on top of stock. So that I cannot complain about because that means things are selling. That's <laughs> so, true. Absolutely. It's one that, of those good problems good. Yeah, to have. Exactly. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. Nicole Erickson says hi. Yes, hi. With a little, um, it's like the uh, celebration yeah. thing. So <laughs> we're glad that... Uh, I that love we're glad that the gray is here yeah. and that the well started. We have audience question says, would you suggest other good entry wines for those who are new to wine? So they, you know, they oh, really yes. have not had a lot of experience in their family, you know, growing up with it. What would be some good, like, say, look at my first try or maybe, like, you know, I've had a glass here or there, but a good entry to, to get Like a specific it. wine or do you want to read or, it? Or any, yeah, any, yeah. any type of, so, it to be as broad as you, yeah. as you think is appropriate. So I love Puglia as a region, the boot heel mm -hmm. of Italy. Um, I love it because a lot of really inexpensive, amazing wines are coming from there. Um, a lot of times they're pretty fruit forward, mm -hmm. which is really great if you're entering wine. Yeah. You know, uh, you're not going to start with uh, Montepulciano, you know, yeah, that's going to just really, yeah. get you. You're, you, mm -hmm. you know, you can have you know, really fun grapes, but just very approachable grapes mm. too. Um, there's so many. I mean, Spain has uh, France. I mean, the Cote de Rhone. That's a really great one mm -hmm. to start with. So many good you know, ones of those yeah. lately. Yeah. Uh, so good. Um, I mean, I would say Burgundy, but uh, it's a bit pricey. <laughs> um, but yeah. So try it out and then get to there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. Burgundy is just so. You know, it's Burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> you just say the word like, yeah. like you know, when you taste it you know you know kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, absolutely. But no, but that's a great I hadn't I hadn't uh, known about Puglia yeah. as as a region. I think it's a really fun one. And then, you know, I've been ha having a lot of good Chilean wines lately as well. Um, okay, surprisingly yeah, so there there's some good stuff. There's good stuff everywhere. It's just a matter of, you know, unearthing mm -hmm. them and getting them over absolutely. here. Absolutely. Well it sounds like and that's a yours is a perfect place I think to go for an entry person. Just the problem is yep. if you just walk straight into a grocery store, you are gonna be confused out sure. of your mind. And sure. you will have no idea because yeah. I mean it's gonna run the gamut between five dollars but like tastes like five dollars mm -hmm. yeah. to you know, fifty dollars, but I, ah, I can't afford that. Yeah. So to be able to go in and say, "All right, Noelle, I'm new to this. Yep. What can Come you recommend?" Yeah. Yeah. And and really learn from there. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to to get started. And I try to carry wines that you don't find at the grocery stores. Well, exactly. You know? So a little more eclectic mix. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, Noel, before we let you know, where where can people find you? Yeah. You know, where is the Gray? And then so, we're online and uh, physically. Yeah, so uh, it's the Gray dot shop, um, but physically we're about halfway down Elliewood. <clears throat> if you know where um, Ragged Mountain Running Shop is, we're mm -hmm. a couple buildings down, okay. right hand side, yellow building. We're tucked away. 
in the yellow building, um, but there are signs. And uh, yeah, that's where yeah, we're so yeah. Well, just Take a nice little walk. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. the corner, you always gotta walk. Yeah. You always gotta walk. <laughs> yeah. So park, you know, wherever you can. Mm -hmm. I do validate nice for the corner parking lot. Oh, the perfect. one behind uh, Trinity and Finch. Oh, oh, oh so, that's even better. Yep, yeah. So you get validated, and it won't even cost you. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. You should spend, what is it? You spend an hour there. Yeah. You should exactly. spend an hour, which probably, be, for me, that would be easy, easy <laughs> to do. Easy to do. I think we have one more audience question, actually, before I let you know. I, I, I hate to... Uh, to miss the audience questions, let me just. Ah, Monica from Montana asks us, "What are the most sought-after wines? What have you been seeing like a lot of movement in lately? Like, oh. People might be interested in." Well, with summer, it's rosé. Rosé, you know, that's mm -hmm. uh, it's rosé season. Tons of rosés, uh, uh, vino verdes, you know, bright, crisp, fun wines, mm -hmm. and then of course always the staples. You know, yep. mm -hmm. we'll start to see a shift here with. More demand for red and for red as yeah, yeah. as the, as, the, yeah. Yeah. as it crisps up. Exactly. It's not so quite there yet. So the demand for whites maybe because they can be chilled and yes, yeah. it's nice, cool, mm -hmm. refreshing. You know, yeah. Absolutely. And same with roses. I got to end with a, a positive comment, which I love. Nicole says she even has so much more confidence buying wine in grocery stores because of your her experience oh, in the gray. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's not Nicole. just like you go and you have a yeah. great time, but now when you see other things, you're like. Oh, I have yeah. the confidence to know what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah. Wine confidence. Yeah. Absolutely. Education. There you go. And Carlton Anderson says, best wine place in town. Oh, Tasting experience Carlton. is great as well. Hi, Carlton. Oh, so, Nicole, Noelle, it's been an absolute... Thank you so much for yeah, having me. I really so appreciate it. It was very kind. No. Yeah. Oh, no, of course. Well, we'll be excited to visit and to have you back. Thank yes. you. Thanks for appreciate coming it. on today. Right. Thank you. Bye. Oh, that's, that's so neat. I just yeah. love the idea. Well, especially because uh, we're such big wine drinkers and... Not to send that in a negative way, in a positive way. Oh yeah, we love our wine, and it's appreciate. Just, yeah, just, wine. just, yeah, just hearing the passion behind like the wine, and, yeah. and then kind of getting the feeling of. I think just the confidence all around. I think mm -hmm. a the the great idea of saying yes, he, these are wines you can enjoy <laughs> that are at an affordable price, mm -hmm. and also then getting the confidence of saying if I am gonna, if I am ready to buy a gift or to. To shell out a little more for like a fifty dollar bottle, mm -hmm. you know that someone has tasted it. Like Noel said, it's passed through her liver yeah. before it gets to yours. So you but, have a little more confidence. Like, yeah. I'm not doing this blind. Plus, like she said, like there's wines there that you don't really find at grocery stores. So it makes it feel special. Like exactly. Like this was like in a small store that that specializes. In yeah, wine. exactly, exactly. And supporting local entrepreneurs. There you go. That's even better. I mean, it's Lots it's a win-win. So mm -hmm. be sure to check that out. TheGray.shop and on the corner. There are signs, so, yep. and you can get parking validated, which is important. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, so from one great entrepreneur to a couple more, mm -hmm. we are super excited. We'll be welcoming back to the show David Deaton, and also welcoming for the first time Ann Thompson. They are the co-founders of MindSalt. David, Ann, thanks so much for coming yeah, on this morning. thank you for coming on this morning. Yeah, thank, thank you, you all so much. Yeah. Yeah, go. Great to be here. We've been looking forward to it mm -hmm. since we've had it uh, on the calendar. So David, it's been a little bit, so what I'll do is have <laughs> each of you Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell the audience how you first became interested in the field of, you know, working with businesses, helping with, you know, consulting. I know is is a is a common word that's used, but like really helping businesses and business people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me, um, the opportunity to continue to deepen the service that we provide to the mm -hmm. community, um, and recognizing that the uh, work that I do could have that direct impact to individuals mm -hmm. um, when I'm able to do that from a consulting capacity. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been consulting for um, 
over 20 years now. And I started out in corporate America for about 10 years and just found that I wasn't able to have the impact that I was mm. really wanting to have mm -hmm. working. I worked in very large um, automotive and telecommunication corporations. So I got a lot of training and a lot of great things out of that experience, but I really wanted to you know, be able to have a mm. more quick uh, impact and be able to mm -hmm. implement mm -hmm. solutions a lot more quickly than what kind of happens in the large corporate cog. And I saw consultants come into those companies and do great things, and so I was inspired to want to do that for other organizations. Absolutely. Interesting. So, David Ann, how did you two meet, and what made you decide to kind of like join forces? Uh, we met through the CIC. Oh, awesome. Okay. Oh, I'm yeah. a huge CIC fan. Yeah, absolutely. I'm lucky We're good friends with CIC. Yeah. We love having them on. I'm lucky to be on their board, and so many people I like, mm -hmm. come through, they've gone through the 16 week workshops. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's where you both met for the first time. We did. Yep. We, we uh, have an opportunity to hear each other um, lecture and realize that there was a, a really great um, complementary experiences and skills that we would bring, and so we just instantly started collaborating. That was actually about five years ago, um, approximately. Yep. So um, we've been collaborating for, for quite a bit. Um, and it just continues to allow us to amplify um, both the portfolio of services that we're offering, mm -hmm. ranging from strategy and research and um, analysis and process improvement, operations and execution, um, but also allows us to sort of deepen that impact when we're working together. Absolutely. So what are some of those services? Like what are, I mean, I know it kind of didn't run the damage. Cause there's, well, I mean, there's so much involved in being an entrepreneur, but what are some of the, like, the most common services that you're helping people with? Yeah, so uh, kind of, we don't like to talk about sides of the house, but that ends up, that's kind of how we end up talking about it. So I have an engineering background, so um, the areas I focus on are business process improvement, Six Sigma mm. quality implementation. I kind of ground everything in that kind of theory of, theory of constraints, Six Sigma quality, lean manufacturing, but those, all of those principles can be applied to really any organization, big or small. Um, a solopreneur can benefit from those mm -hmm. kind of, uh, ways of thinking, as well as any of the large organizations that we work with. And then David and I just really um, meld well when I'm working in that realm of like executing and improving and optimizing organizations, mm -hmm. and then it's aligned with the strategic you know, thinking and plan for the long term mm -hmm. of that business to make sure that the ROI isn't just like right now, in the first year, it's so gonna be going. something that's aligned with what they wanna do for the next five to 10 years. Yeah, so if you will, my side of the house then, um, you know, I cut my teeth in market research and then put that into a strategic context um, and working to sort of facilitate those discussions, uh, but then also to do the research to bring insight to those discussions as well. Um, and then we both combine a little bit to look at sort of the business health from a financial perspective. Um, and that's an area that we sort of co-share, if you will, in yeah. the work that we do. Um, so in our mission, we talk a lot about how we can help bring purpose to organizations. We're very much a purpose-driven organization. How can we do that um, with the organizations that we work with? Um, then how can we also improve their productivity, which brings in um, Ann's side of the house, um, and then the profitability um, that is really the synergy of both those efforts coming mm -hmm. together. Um, one of the things that you heard from both Ann and I's answer about how we got started in this um, was the, the deep impact that we could have yes. with the, um, both of us sort of mm -hmm. use that word, and that really is so true. Um, and when we look at that synergy between the services that we offer, it's great to have a strategy. It's great to know your direction, but if you can't implement it, it really can be frustrating. Yes. Um, so it was very easy to collaborate with Anne mm -hmm. because we could give so much more depth to the work that we were doing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, likewise, and I wouldn't speak for you, but I think that there was sort of this sense of, hey, I'm working really hard on this process improvement, but in what context? Is this really getting yeah. the right return? Mm -hmm. And so instantly that just quick touch base that we were having or the deep work we were having with a particular client on a project always brought both of those things into context and visibility. So no strategy, no direction, no research without understanding where it's going, but also at the same time, you know, no massive overhauls, improvements, and, um, and optimizations without understanding that larger strategic well, context. Yeah, that makes mm. complete sense. It's true, yeah, you can't really, you, you could have one without the other, but it wouldn't be complete. You would, you would, you would be missing, like I said, you'd be missing the purpose, and then you see it a lot, like sometimes you, 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 you come out of, a strategic planning session, you're like, okay, I, I have my values, I have my mission, I have my vision, right? And then you say, what oh, now? Kind of, you know, you, 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 you're like the fish in Finding Nemo, you're like, you got to the ocean, you have your great plan, you're like, now what? Like, what do I do? How do I implement my, my plan? Yeah, absolutely. You don't want that to be something that sits on the shelf for three exactly. years and five mm -hmm. years, and we wonder, like, what did we do with that? So, yeah, mm -hmm. we've been doing a lot of work recently with that exact scenario. I mean, really working hand in hand. We pride ourselves in being like shoulder to shoulder with our clients and getting right in there in the weeds and helping them really execute on those things. Absolutely. So what's kind of the process? All right, so like a, a business over, or, you know, an entrepreneur walks in the door, gives you a call. What's kind of the process of, of working with you both? They say, you know, especially if they come in, let's say, kind of from scratch, maybe they haven't done a strategic plan in five years or since they started the company. Maybe they've never done one. They don't really know what to do. They're, you know, they're, they're growing. What's kind of, from that initial phone call, what kind of happens? Um, yeah, so most of our um, initial engagements don't start with, hey, we need a strategic plan. Some, some do. Um, so actually the way in which most of the organizations come to us is that there's some challenge that they're facing. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a good challenge, which is we're experiencing hyper growth. Um, we're, we're trying to figure out how to do that. Um, another challenge might be we're stalled out um, or, yeah. or things aren't looking as way we anticipated. And so that's actually the way in which most um, individuals or large corporations as well as small corporations, and we work with both, um, are starting with this. They've got that challenge in front of them. So um, I, would, I would say that um, part of our initial discussion with them is sort of that initial triage or that initial understanding of need and what's really right in front of them. Um, and then once we do that through sort of that combination format that we talked about, um, it really then, then um, brings in the next step, which is, okay, now that we've sort of got that in motion, um, for which was the immediate challenge for you, what, what's next in order, to, um, in order to make sure that your business is like, successful as you define that success? And so um, that may be con um, working on continued optimization, process improvement, um, and gave a great example about some, some project implementation that we're working mm -hmm. on, um, but I know also um, we're working on a whole systems integration, um, uh, working with a concrete uh, pour in regards to getting a builder trend implemented, which actually, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, is from Co-Construct, if they were bought from Co-Construct, which is a local okay. organization um, company here. Um, and so uh, those types of things uh, are very natural for mm -hmm. us to move into next. So it really depends on where we go from there. Yeah, we always want to uh, make sure that we really understand what what's your pain point yeah. that you're feeling. Like that's yes. the that's one of the first things we want to understand yeah. in that initial conversation is truly what the pain is. And then a lot of times we find that people think they they maybe uh, have misdiagnosed that. They think they need something, but as we do kind of our There's investigation, mm -hmm. the the root cause of the problem is often something different than what they think mm -hmm. that it is. And mm -hmm. so we could go after the thing that maybe is causing you know that chronic 
you know, immediate pain and resolve that quickly, but then we need to, like, take a step back. We are very much grounded in data all the time, so mm-hmm. we're trying to measure and understand you know, what will be the impacts if we change this, what will be improved, and ensure that return on investment that will have the largest bang for the buck. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. I don't have some people tuning in. Oh, uh, yes. Johnny Ordinellis watching the show this morning. Stacey Sepp watching the show this right. morning. Thank you both for, for tuning in this morning. So... One thing, I mean, it, we, it, it's funny because we talked a lot. One of the questions we commonly asked, you know, someone is like, what's it like to be an entrepreneur? But you're both in it. I was thinking of that question this morning. I was like, well, this is interesting because like, here you are, you're, you're having that impact with other entrepreneurs while also doing it yourself. So what's it kind of like, I'll ask it as a dual way, like what's it like being entrepreneurs while also helping and advising and working with entrepreneurs? Well, I think one of the funny things that happens is um, we sometimes don't practice what we preach. <laughs> and we're advising people on things, and then we take a look at ourselves, and they're like, hmm, maybe we could be doing better in that ourselves. Um, but um, I also, through the years of consulting, have owned several other businesses, and so I very much feel and understand the entrepreneurial experience from a you know deep level, mm-hmm. and I, I started businesses when I was a child as well. So I've, you know, I've got it in my blood, and so that's uh. the, you know that's part of why I'm drawn to doing this is really helping people. You know, they, they get into these businesses because they're really passionate about mm-hmm. something, and then there's all this other stuff that has to be done to yes. run that business well. And so helping some of those smaller organizations is one of the most fun things that we get to do because you, you really see that immediate impact and you, you've been there yourself, you've felt it yourself, and you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can like, see the weight lifted off their shoulders when they mm-hmm. see, you guys get what I'm talking about, and there's actually, like, we can solve this, that yes. we can do this, there's hope. Yeah, just to uh, build on that answer, I think, um, you know, Anne really makes a poignant point about the relatability. So when you're working Mm -hmm. with um, those entrepreneurs, it's relatability um, and taking that weight off, as you said. Um, But the other part of it is, is that because we have so many large clients as well, and both of us share um, deep experiences in uh, the corporate world Mm -hmm. um, and bringing all that we've had in our corporate world experiences and our corporate leadership um, into some of our larger clients, being an entrepreneur gives us the understanding of how to be flexible, which sometimes can be a little bit of a trick and an art with a larger organization. So um, those organizations that are larger that we work with really appreciate um, our flexibility, um, our large toolkit to give some jargony words, Mm -hmm. but just our large things that we can bring to the table as far as skills and abilities. Mm -hmm. um, And they see us as a resource that can sort of solve a lot of the challenges that they're working with. So um, it's that relatability, but also that flexibility. And that gives us a lot of great range. Um, You know, we have a large contingent of clients that are here uh, in Charlottesville, um, but the majority of our business is not. We have a large contingent of small clients, um, but we have a, a large portfolio of large clients as well. And that range comes from that relatability, but also that flexibility. And I bet you in some ways probably the range also then feeds into what you're able to do because you're able to kind of, if you're working with a smaller client, you say, here's where you can, here's what you might encounter going forward as you, as you grow, as you become larger, mm-hmm. and kind of vice versa, maybe tell some of the larger ones, remember when you were, <laughs> right. when you used to be this flexible, you know, here's what you can still do in a sense. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it, it just, it, it, it's beautiful how it kind of reinforces it, because the experience of working with both sizes, I would imagine, you know, the experience of say working on that spectrum of size and how big companies are helps you with with each of them in turn. That's right. Absolutely. 
Um, and I think that one of the things that you could hear from Anne's comments too is that um, the recognition that um, the individuals that we're working with, both large corporations or small, um, there's someone's individual aspirations mm -hmm. that are being expressed. Um, and if you're sort of a director or a worker in a large organization, your aspirations may be able to go home and know you're getting a paycheck. Yeah. Um, if you're a solopreneur, your aspiration is to sort of realize that vision. And so mm -hmm. what you know, I think we both connect with is an understanding of those aspirations, um, regardless of the organization and mm -hmm. the individual, um, and how can we work to make sure that we're serving. And that's, that's our vision, is to really make sure that those aspirations that individuals have are fulfilled, whatever they might be, um, we need to be in service of those aspirations. Those are very real and, and human emotions that are mm -hmm. on the table. Um, and when um, organizations are less successful, those aspirations are let down. Um, and, and that's something that we work very hard from a vision standpoint to say, we, we don't want those, vision, those aspirations to be let down. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of, you'll recognize that like one of the mm -hmm. things that tops up, pops up so frequently when we interview a small business owner, an entrepreneur, is that often like what, almost all the time what leads them into it, what leads you into it is that passion, like here's mm -hmm. what I want to do, right? And then when you start, whenever we ask the question, like, what's it like being an entrepreneur, right? When you start, that's when you realize there's all these other things that have to happen behind mm -hmm. the scenes which help the passion come true, but aren't really but that. Like, in, in exactly, the, like you, you start mm -hmm. a baking business, you go into it thinking, well, baking is what I do. But there's all those things that have to happen behind the scenes to make it possible to keep baking, right? And I just love the fact that you two are in this business to kind of help that part of it and say, what can we do to make that part that you find out when you become an entrepreneur is mm -hmm. part of it, what do we do to help that part go more smoothly and help and really work so that the passion can keep going mm -hmm. and you can keep going and saying I get to go to work and do what I love to do and not feel the weight not that you don't have to do it you still have to do the back you know the things that have to happen right but not feel the weight like oh man all I do is this stuff that isn't connected to what I what my passion is and I love that you're out there helping people with that part of it so that the dream what they're good at and what they want to share with people can kind of keep going Absolutely. Yeah, one of the things we always recommend to businesses like that is, you know, the, all of those things that you don't love doing that you still have to do. Like, mm -hmm. one of the first things that I recommend we do is, like, let's get it down on paper. What is step-by-step -step thing? Like, it's a little checklist that you can do when you have to yeah. do, like, your monthly invoicing, and it's, like, this big albatross that you don't ever want to do, mm -hmm. and you have to sit down to do it. Let's write down that process so that the next time you have to do it, it can go more quickly and more quickly. Uh, and then once you also have things down on paper like that, you can also outsource it if you can you know if, if we can garner enough resources mm -hmm. to put that off on somebody else to do we we always try to find out what are the things that you like doing the least mm. let's focus on those first and see if we can come up with a way to either eliminate it you don't even have to do it anymore it doesn't need to exist or um, can we make it just be a thing that's just quick and easy we're done mm. or can we pass it off to another organization or can we hire someone to come in and help with those mm. things so, um, yeah, that, that's a key complaint that every small business oh, owner has. Yes. <laughs> I would imagine. I would imagine. David, any, um, any, like, success stories or things that, like, kind of come to your mind and, like, oh, man, I, I love when this kind of happens, when you see this result. 
Um, yeah, so we're working with a large nonprofit in the area. So we actually have both commercial clients and nonprofit oh, clients. Um, they need a nonprofit, <laughs> probably similar. Like you don't realize, oh man, I have to kind of run this like a business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think for for both of us, I mean, being a purpose-driven organization and and sort of recognizing the the strong commercial value that that has, um, that resonates with a lot of our commercial clients. Um, uh, but then also that is sort of part and parcel of the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. So it's actually very easy for us to go um, back and forth between the two. Um, but there's one in particular, um, a large one in the area that we've been working with and really seeing over the last um, less than 12 months, sort of a, almost a total transformation, um, which is something that we both aspire to because that means we're bringing both sides of the house. Yeah. Um, and so we've done everything from the research, we've done everything from the strategy, we've done everything from the project management and support. And so it's really sort of um, working with them to, to move that into a different direction. Um, and so the feedback that we'll get is, you know, individuals will send an email to the executive director saying, you know, I, I've been so inspired, I've, I've worked here so long, I've never been more inspired to be part of this organization than, the, than they are now. Um, and so when we receive those types of emails from the leader of an organization that's really talking about that, um, that just is um, tremendous fuel to know that the work that we're doing in combination is having a tremendous impact to the that's organizations we're, we're supporting. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. Before we let you go, where can people get in touch and find you guys? Yeah, on our website, it's the mindsalt, the mindsalt. T H E mindsalt, M I N D S A L T dot com. Um, both of our uh, LinkedIn profiles are linked from there, and mm -hmm. uh, we'd be happy to talk with anyone about That's anything fantastic. we can do. And to it's help. super easy. I think when you get to the mindsalt.com, there's like a nice big button that says, Let's talk. Absolutely. <laughs> so, it's, it's, so if you want to talk to, to David and Ann, the mindsalt.com, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. Let's talk. Perfect. The website's perfect. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Well, David, and it's been such yes. a pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you for having us. No, it's always good to have you on. Mm -hmm. All right, you take care. Uh, from what I always love, I just you knew you learn new things when you have, you know, minds like like David and Anne on that, like just they're just so in tune with like what it's like to be exactly. an entrepreneur. Exactly, and, and, imp and important help. work too, because I think yeah. being an entrepreneur is always difficult. And mm -hmm. and like they said, like sometimes you you kind of have a purpose, but you don't in a way. You kind of like. You have an idea of what you want to do, but then not really an idea of how to implement it. Yeah. And then, in a way, sort of sell it. And sometimes the act of working with, with you know, a, a group like like the Mindsalt, who've, right, who've done it for lots of other it, right? it's almost the very act of trying to formulate mm -hmm. what your your goals are and so forth helps you find out what they are. Exactly. Like you sit there and say, "Oh, I thought this was my vision, but actually, it's not. Like this is what it really was." But mm -hmm. you, until you go through that process, you, you don't realize it. Exactly. It's like having all these ideas and just like, no, 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 let's try to reel it in and just get like a solid one page of sort of like a business plan. Like, this is what you want to do. This is your purpose. This is your initiative. Exactly. And then kind of roll with it. Yeah. So it's, it's great to have uh, an entrepreneur like that uh, in the community mm -hmm. doing that. Bob Yarbrough, thanks for uh, tuning in this morning and watching the show. So we're, we're excited. One of my favorite parts of today, mm -hmm. Mariana, is our, our monthly conversations with Matthias. So we're happy to bring back on Matthias Young from Matthias Young Realty. Uh, always, good, always good to have you on. Always friend. wonderful. How are you it's doing today? Once a month, and I enjoy being here. Thanks so much for having me again no. and for the willingness to listen to me. 
No, no we love no, listening to you. That's it. why we have you on. Yeah, no, I'm, I, and I kid you not, all of us at the office, I remember my dad's like, oh, yeah, I want to be on with, like, last time he was like, mm-hmm. oh, man, I haven't been on with Matthias in a while. I want to be on when, he's, when he comes on. So, so you're in rotation. Yeah, it's, exactly. 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 it's in high demand. That seat is in mm-hmm. high demand. To win, um, what about that seat? What, that, seat's not, that seat's not in demand? No one can get but that seat? No one wants to replace me. You don't need to rush to replace me with that. No one dares maybe. to, Alex. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, don't, so, don't stroke his ego. Don't no. stroke his ego. <laughs> so, Matthias, one of the things um, we did is we, we talked about you. Like, we, we talked about the fall, you know, and, and last time we touched a little mm-hmm. bit on what it's like. And you know, begin to go out and, and look for a home in the fall. And one of the things that's been popping up a lot that actually people have been asking us recently, and t- what I wanted to talk to you about a little bit was, and I, I can't, I've had at least in the last few weeks three, four people ask me this question. Like, does the, you, the people tune in and they either read on the news that like su- there's less supply of homes that are there, particularly in Charlottesville area, right? Mm-hmm. Or they themselves will go out and be like, oh man, there's a lot less. I'm looking for a home, but there's a, a lot fewer options than I'm used to. How do you kind of work with people and you know talk to them and sort of lay those expectations when you're when someone goes to buy a house, but we're now in an environment where there's a lot less inventory than they may be used to or thought there would be. Well, what you're, what you're asking or describing is one of the biggest challenges that we are facing right yeah. now with um, where the market is mm-hmm. um, and how that impacts our inventory or supply, as you called it. And if you look at the numbers and compare it to last year, for example, we do know that we have less inventory, less yeah. homes on the market available for our clients to purchase. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the prices are up. And that is not a coincidence. Yeah. Obviously, that's a correlation that we mm-hmm. need to consider when, when talking about buying a home. Mm-hmm. And those that make the decision to purchase a home and contact me, and obviously they already um, are aware of the situation yeah. oftentimes, but it's also my duty to, to set expectations mm-hmm. with them and, and, and really sit down and, and look at what challenges we will be facing. And maybe we won't at all because we're looking at an area that is not as hot as, mm-hmm. let's say, mm-hmm. downtown Charlottesville, Belmont in, in Charlottesville. But I think you're putting the finger on, on the biggest issue mm-hmm. right now, supply. We do hope that the fall market will bring a little bit more, little more. on the market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, just looking at the new listings this morning, I am very hopeful and, and confident. Um, I have our, a group of buyer clients I'm working with, and um, I think we are all, not just me, them as well, looking each morning what's coming on the market mm-hmm. right now. And then you need to be quick. Need to be quick, you're competing with um, several buyers for the Mm -hmm. same property, Mm -hmm. and everyone's circumstances are slightly different. And so it's really a job to to sit down and determine what are your circumstances? Mm -hmm. How much can you afford? Are you prepared for a down payment, for the closing costs, et cetera? And then it makes sense for them to sit down with a lender to figure out the financial Mm -hmm. aspect of things. But it does make sense to know where you are, what your circumstances are, so that you are ready to act immediately with me when the perfect home is on the market after we have seen it 
in order to find out how can we compete with others, how do we get the edge. And there are several strategies, and that's a big part of my job, and actually the exciting part, how to win that property mm, for yeah. my clients. But yeah, there are certain factors that go into that. It's, it's strange, it's almost a combination of patience, right, in the sense of like, you, with the lower inventory, you may not find the house you want in two days, right, but also the ability to act quickly, because then if you do see when you want, you can't sit there and say, oh, let me think about it for a couple of weeks, see how I feel, like just, it's, it's a combination of those two things which might appear contradictory, but they kind of come together in this type of market. Yeah, and it, and it comes back to that situation where you want to be prepared for. Mm -hmm. For example, if, if you are relying on a, on a loan, then speak to the lender and get a pre-qualification letter or a pre-approval letter. Mm -hmm. um, know the neighborhoods, know where you're looking, know exactly how much house you need. And for that purpose, um, it makes sense to really look at homes with me you would be surprised how many people find out in the process that they actually need an additional bedroom for office space oh, or that yeah. they would appreciate um, a bigger yard than they thought. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I've worked with, with people that in the process of looking at homes decided that, oh, a condo is actually exactly what we need. We might not need that single family mm -hmm. with the big yard. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we're looking at different properties. Yeah. So, it's about being prepared, having conversations, and getting to know your own preferences. Mm. That is not necessarily only something for first-time home buyers. Yeah. No, you would be surprised. People that are looking to buy their fifth or sixth home are learning still things about their preferences and like, the process. How interesting. Mm -hmm. That actually kind of connects because we have an audience question. Monica says, uh, hello, uh, Matthias. Hi, Monica. Mm -hmm. um, she has a question, which I think is kind of in this vein. How, and it may not be like a specific number answer, but how many houses should people look at before purchasing one? In other words, I think trying to get at like how many houses, even if you're not saying this is the one, this is the one, this is, how many should you kind of view before you actually, you know, say, okay, yeah, this, I'm gonna immediately put an offer on this one. Or does, does it vary or is there some kind of, it's important to, get a sense of your own preference by, by viewing multiple? It, it depends on, I mean, that's, that's a lame answer, it depends, but <laughs> it does apply. Um, it depends on the, on the circumstances. Again, mm. one of my, my favorite group of clients are those from out of state that know that they want to live in Charlesville or a surrounding area mm -hmm. because of a job, for example, but don't know the neighborhoods yet. And then, so I get to show them the neighborhoods mm -hmm. and look at different homes. And the reason why I like that part the most is I moved here myself. I'm clearly not from Charlottesville originally. I moved here in 2014. And so the, the lenses or the perspective that I had back then when exploring Charlottesville in the area is exactly what helps me now to put myself in the yeah. shoes of the out-of-state client and really maneuver through the neighborhoods and explore and then look at homes. And to your question about, or Monica's question about the number of homes, it depends. But we also need to acknowledge that chances are we will not get immediately the first home we look at, mm -hmm. the first home that we decide to put an offer on. Mm. That's 
just the reality yeah. of, of today's market. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, it really takes three, four homes to, um, to look at, to find out what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Many times people are prepared and that's one of the advantages of having access online to, to the MLS, but also mm -hmm. to online platforms. Um, we have tools like 3D walkthrough, video walkthroughs, um, as a result of the pandemic, mm -hmm. but um, it's, it's here to stay because it, it allows people remotely also to have a better understanding of the property. Yeah. Um, it's something that we send as a link sometimes when we can't um, personally show them because they're not in state, etc. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's very interesting. Speaking of that kind of thing, the competitive advantage, um, one of the things I'd, I've been meaning to ask you for a while because it's kind of been on my mind is, you know, we, we often, like in the financial business, you know, Michael and I, we, we talk about pre-approval with people from the financial side, mm -hmm. right? You know, knowing what you can afford, et cetera. Yeah. But what, let's say you have individuals who are saying, okay, I, I kind of already know what I can afford, right? Mm -hmm. What are their advantages to having that pre-approval, that pre-qualification from a buying perspective, from a competitive or from the realtor side as opposed to from the financial side? Yeah, so let's put ourselves in the, in the situation of a seller, a homeowner that, that's ready to put the, the house on the market. Mm -hmm. And then let's say that's you and you receive four or let's say five different offers from five agents representing buyers interested in your property. How do you decide on which one to take? It's not only who's offering the most. Um, is it maybe cash over financing because you need to sell in two weeks as quickly as possible? Um, or do you require flexibility because you you know, moving is a stressful time, and mm -hmm. for the transition, you would appreciate as much time as possible. And so maybe as a result of that, you're looking for a buyer that offers you that flexibility. Mm. And all of a sudden, that specific buyer has an edge over the others because they're offering a lot of time, maybe a leaseback agreement, whatever the situation requires. And so it depends on a variety of, of things, but I think we can all agree, the more prepared the buyer is, the more likely as a homeowner I'm willing to work with that buyer. And knowing what that buyer can afford is a big part. Mm. So in what that means for us, if you don't have a pre-approval letter from your financial institution, your lender loan officer, at the same time you don't have the cash to, to purchase the home like that, then obviously we won't consider your offer if you're not prepared and if you can't show us that you are pre-approved by the bank. Mm. That's from the yeah. homeowner's perspective, right? So it, it really makes sense to be prepared to, to cover all the mm -hmm. aspects and, and know what you can officially afford. Mm -hmm. Would you say there's a right, uh, a, a good amount of timing at which to, to go down the road, because obviously a, a lot of questions that I will often get asked is like, oh, but doesn't getting approval, won't it ding my credit score, right? And, you know, we, obviously we work people through that, but is there a good timing to say, because obviously, you know, a pre-approval will, you know, will temporarily, when, you're, you know, when your credit gets asked, 
it hits your credit score, right? And then you have a certain amount of time. The pre-approval is not like endless. It's not, you know, you're pre-approved for the next five years. It's usually mm -hmm. 120 days and so forth. Is there a, a time at which you would say, in other words, if you are only beginning to think about buying a home mm -hmm. versus, okay, I know, I've seen my neighborhoods, I've, I've visited a couple, is now the time to do it? Where in the process would you suggest, from a competitive standpoint, people begin to seek that pre-approval to kind of give them enough time to mm -hmm. search while also making sure that they're prepared? Sure. Um, one of the things that, that you go through as a, as a young couple, mm -hmm. a family looking to purchase a home in, in Charlottesville is, is obviously what or how do our finances look mm -hmm. and how much would we qualify for if yeah. we seek to get a loan. And I have to be careful here. I, I'm a realtor. I'm not a financial advisor yeah, or right. loan officer, mm -hmm. but we oftentimes connect clients to loan officers so that they can figure out um, how the situation is looking mm -hmm. like for them, always with the goal of getting that pre-approval letter. Yeah. Now, oftentimes, I see it most of the times valid for 30 days, that mm -hmm. pre-approval letter, so that gives us some time to look at a few homes, um, maybe place um, an, a bid on our property. But what that means for the lender is they already have a lot of information mm -hmm. from that couple, from that family, mm -hmm. so it will be easy for them to renew that pre-approval on an as-needed basis in order to send it to mm -hmm. me because I will need some kind of documentation um, to send along with the offer contract in, in order to, to be considered for mm -hmm. that property. Um, so what is the, the best timing for that? Well, as soon as you know that your circumstances change and you, you're looking to, to purchase a home, um, something bigger or something smaller, depending on your situation, you... Um, yeah, you're encouraged to have a conversation with your mm -hmm. lender about exactly that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I appreciate working with people that obviously know what they can afford. Yeah. And um, if they're still in the, in the early process, then that's something we, um, we have on the list of preparation. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. No, it makes total sense. Yeah, no, see, this is why I would love talking with you, just mm -hmm. like you, you just, you help answer. Because I think a lot of people only look at it from the finance side. They'll be like, oh, I don't know what I can afford, hence I need to visit a lender. But there's so much that goes into it, even from just being competitive, particularly, I would think, in, in a market like this. It might be different if there were, you know, 10 sellers for every one buyer, mm -hmm. right? And you could say, well, you know, I have time to, to do that. But particularly in something like this, the more competitive you can be, the, that might be the difference between actually being exactly. the winning bid and not. And um, when I think back um, to, the, to the pandemic, mm -hmm. when, when the market was that crazy, <laughs> we all know the stories, people got creative about how to win that property, mm -hmm. how to be, remain competitive. Yeah. And we saw love letters, you know, personal letters oh. by, the, by the buyers addressed to the seller where they explain why they should um, sell the property to them, mm -hmm. uh, bec maybe because they have a, have a dog that 
would really love that yard, and then they they send pictures along of their dog. So those wow. those love I've letters. I've never heard was, of that. That was <laughs> that was one strategy, and and there are a few concerns surrounding that, um, you know, fair housing rules that we have to abide by. So love letters are oftentimes not accepted anymore, yeah. but it just it just shows how people try to become yeah, more yes. interesting to the sellers because yeah. they are. Sellers have so much power yeah. um, mm. right now, and so you have to, you know, adapt and, and deal with, mm. with the situation. But the better prepared you are, and I say this again and again here, um, the more advantage you have yeah. over others. It really makes sense, sense to know mm. which neighborhood you are interested in, what preferences you have mm. surrounding space, location. Um, do we need to talk about the school system? Is that relevant mm -hmm. for you? What's the commute to your day job? Yeah. All those factors. You want to know those things beforehand. Mm -hmm. Kind of, exactly. Yeah. That's and, so and that's part of our job to sit down and, and go help people figure that out. Yeah. over all those questions in order to be prepared mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. that day the perfect property is on the market. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot goes into yeah. selling a house beyond well, just. It's, it's oh, I why like you it. need the help. Exactly. In other words, like because you're going to think of things that a, a, a person may not think of in advance, mm -hmm. right? And you're going to kind of help work them through that and say, "Have you thought of this?" And oh my goodness, I didn't think of that. Yeah, let's face it. Buying a home is, is one of the most emotional times yeah. mm -hmm. of one's life, and the better prepared we we are, and the more I can take that emotion out of the situation by just. Focusing on the fact, the the more success we have, you know? mm -hmm. and and frankly, that's that's the exciting part of my job. That's that's the part I really enjoy. Absolutely. And that, speaking of uh, shards, I know um, we're excited. Uh, last time on um, uh, Auto Turkish Seville, you know, mm -hmm. mentioned how much they uh, are big fans, and I think Mike, you had a question you wanted to ask. On yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what was my question? Oh, your favorite dish. What's your favorite you dish at Auto Turkish Evo? I, yeah, I know there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good <gasps> dishes, but if you could kind of try to pinpoint one. Well, I'm, I'm biased because I'm from Germany, and Turkish cuisine in Germany is, 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 is very prominent. Mm -hmm. So we have those Turkish street food gyro-style oh, places yeah. on every street corner, and the number one selling food item is what we call döner. And mm. that is similar to what, what Otto is offering there, the, like the, the gyro the kebab, mm. exactly. Yeah. And so that's what I go for when I go mm. to, to Otto's. It, it reminds mm -hmm. me of you know, the Turkish minority in Germany, <laughs> but it's also just a quick and relatively healthy lunch to have. Oh, absolutely. So go for that. They call it here the, the Ottoban. Autobahn. Okay. 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 But that's basically the junior yeah. kebab. That's that's exactly what I'm okay. used to from my brain. brain. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, I remember that. I read. That you know, there's a strong relationship between the Turkish and the Germans. The Turkish oh. are the biggest minority in, in, yeah. in Germany, actually. Yeah. Well, and, and historically, there were all those big connections. Yeah. You know, they the had Italians a lot of and the Turkish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Even like World War One. So pre-World War One, you have Germany. Uh, Austria-Hungary and Turkey, they were all like, they had a lot of influence on each other, mm -hmm. culturally, language, 
food especially so it's weren't they know, alliance in world war one I? I think they were allied in world war one yeah yeah that was a but i think that was a result of cultural connections and so yeah. forth yeah Exactly. The cultural part is the, kind of the most fascinating because you just you did to see all that. So it's true when we was in in we had visited um, Austria way back, mm-hmm. right? There were also there a lot of Turkish places, yeah. little the street, that kind of like the street food mm-hmm. kind of thing. So that's so that's how actually I how I bonded with Ali, the the co-owner of of the the restaurant. He speaks German. He has oh, been to Germany, and. Um, And it, and it shows again that, that Turkish-German relationship. Mm-hmm. You were just talking about the World War, but actually after the Second World War, when a lot of Germany was destroyed and we, we wanted to rebuild the economy and, and houses and cities yeah. <laughs> as well, we invited especially Italian and Turkish families mm-hmm. um, as, as guest workers mm-hmm. um, with the ability to stay and transfer the their families mm-hmm. to Germany. And as a result, we have this multicultural yeah. um, diversity in, in Germany with the Turks being the biggest minority. It, it's funny, we, we, we came from real estate to Turkish mm-hmm. migrants in Germany. So we are covering everything. <laughs> exactly, we always cover, cover the damn you know, <laughs> which, which I love. Does it, well, it just goes to, I think, also how multicultural Charlottesville is in that sense that we were lucky enough to have like an, an auto Turkishville here or you know all the different restaurants we have. I think that's what makes it such an attractive place. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. not I speak to people from other parts of the country like maybe you've got, you know, your Mexican restaurant and your Chinese restaurant. Yeah, you get you have one Mexican, one Chinese and one pizzeria and that's it. And that's Everything it. else is McDonald's <laughs> or Burger or King. Or American, or, right? Exactly. And so it's nice here that you actually have that that you come in from Germany and say, Oh yes, mm-hmm. there is that here. It's just like Well what but to. you know what we are missing in Charlottesville? Which one? A German restaurant. Oh that is true in yeah. Charlottesville. Why proper. don't we have a single German restaurant? We have one in, in Madison, and, yeah. Yeah. and in the valley as well, yeah. but, but not but in... But listen, I, I'm, I'm upset because I wanted the Bavarian chef, mm-hmm. and we always enjoyed it. We're like, oh, no, they're dressed you know, with the Bavarian so clothes. They have the food so delicious. And then my brother, <laughs> his now wife, Elizabeth, she's from... She's from her family's from Bavaria. She goes, This isn't real Bavarian food. I said, She ruined my experience forever. <laughs> yeah. She ruined it. Now I go here. It's like, It's not authentic. It's and it's not authentic. It's very Americanized. But no, don't say that because I want to go there and, and imagine I'm in Germany. Now I'm just like at the food. It's like, No, it's not. They tease her still. They're like, You had to say that it's Bavarian. And part of it is also too like, we think of Bavaria as like, or Germany is like one big place where they all eat the same food. It's like, well, no. Like, this town's Bavarian cuisine might be totally different from mm-hmm. a town 20 minutes over that just makes the yeah. Jägerschnitzel just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just... <laughs> I, I find it funny how Americans see Germany as a country. And, and obviously, I'm generalizing here. It's, mm-hmm. it's the stereotype that a lot of Americans have of us Germans and that we all just dress in, in leather pants, the lederhosen, <laughs> and that we drink one liter beers all day and eat schnitzel. So that's, that's pretty much that, that, that stereotype. And you're right. It really varies from, from so region different. to region. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm from, you would never uh, drink a beer out of a one liter glass, for example. And I did you know? that. It was so much fun. That, that's was... in the cell. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's Bavaria. No, I can right. say having visited Bavaria now, 
They actually do do that. So oh, okay. That, so that is not a stereotype. That's authentic. They, At least something's authentic. They, okay. In that part of Germany, they do actually do that. And mm-hmm. I did see people in the, the Lederhosen. So that, it, it, that is real. Uh, just not the whole of Germany. You know what? One of those times that I'm on the show, I'm going to come in Lederhosen. That would, that would be so much fun. Just two. Monica will probably have a blast. And we'll, show get, one, we'll, get, we'll get one liter cups of, of beer, too. We'll... we'll, <laughs> we'll ch- We'll like after an October, Oktoberfest. Yeah. Let's do it for Oktoberfest. An Oktoberfest special. Yes. Okay. Let's do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Uh, uh, Dutch Sushan, I think, watching the show's one. And Andreas Kruisling, I think is how it's pronounced. It's the O with the little thing. So I hope I did that Kruisling. right. Kruisling. Andreas mm-hmm. Kruisling uh, is watching the show this morning. So thank you both for joining us. Matthias, it's... It's always been an absolute mm-hmm. pleasure to have you on. Love it. Yeah. Uh, Monica says, let her know when you're on with the Lederhosen. Mm-hmm. So we will do that. You, you know... Some, sometimes people joke and say, you speak German, but you won't ever have German clients here in Charlottesville. And, you know, it's true there are not too many Germans here, but we always have one very loyal German viewer of yes, the, of the network, Monica, out of Montana. Monica is extremely loyal, I really, so really appreciate, appreciate that. her. Yep. You know, and she wakes up early. It's like 9.30 in Montana now, so it's early. She's, she's committed. Vielen Dank fürs Zuschauen, Monica. <laughs> there we go. Oh, Matthias, thanks Matthias, again. For yeah, thank on. you so much. So good. It was fun. It's always fun. It's fun. It's always. Well, and that means next month we will be here in Lederhosen. Uh, exactly. That's it. We're gonna do it. I'm gonna. I'm writing that down, and I'm sure <laughs> Nick has probably memorized it yeah. already. <laughs> We're gonna have a whole thing planned out. We have to start exactly. planning now. Yeah, start, start planning. Special for today, man. Absolutely. I'm absolutely. <laughs> uh, see me in Flanagan. I just wanted to uh, uh, read. Uh, she jo- tuned in today, and she had commented on uh, Noel that Noel and her shop are fantastic. So I just mm. wanted to read that comment as well. Uh, that really appreciate everyone commenting yeah. and watching this morning. Just yeah, it was love, a fantastic show. Love our guest. It's been a great, great show. Um, um, quickly. I know you want to opera. reveal something. So, uh, so uh, yes, for Charlottesville Opera, if you've waited for this on the show, so there, there are two things next, for next season that you have to look forward to is The Music Man is going to be the musical. Ooh. Very famous musical from the 50s. It was made into a movie, movie in 1962. Um, and then the opera is going to be Le Cire d'Amour, which is one of my favorites. So it's, it's like the love elixir. Okay. Famous opera. You know, a very fun one. It's By who? Fun, uh, Donizetti. Oh, okay. He's the composer. The suit was very fun about it. It's funny, they're both about con men. Like the music man is about mm-hmm. a con man, and the suit is about this guy who sells like love elixir. Mm-hmm. And the question is whether the love elixir works or not. Interesting. So, uh, How's the sure music in that one? Good. Oh, great. Very good. Very good. So, and I know uh, Elizabeth Erpy Nick's uh, wife was very excited about the music man. Oh, she yeah. See, She's she already probably that. bugging him about yeah, the so, And then I'm excited about uh, Lazio de Moore. <laughs> so there's going to be a great season next year for Charlottesville Opera. There's going to be a great show next week. We're going to have um, Phil Reese. He is the owner of Unlocked History Estate Brooms. Ah, so that cool. is going to be super excited. I have been to some of them and they are fantastic. Yes, you've told me wonderful um, things. I'm jealous. As well as uh, Jay Berger is going to come back down from Sound Around and Matterport. Mm. So he's going to come on to talk about his businesses. So we're really excited for that really appreciate everyone who tuned in this morning mm-hmm. it's been a great show um thanks you for no, thank, thank you, you for, for having me out for, for being on thanks judah Wittara behind the camera always making us look good thank you all our fantastic commenters and viewers uh, we look forward to seeing you all next week thank you of course to emergent financial services to our partners uh castle hill cider matias Jones realty credit series insurance forward atalante 
We look forward to seeing you all next week. But until that time, as we like to close it out on the show, hasta mañana. <laughs>